Good morning, uh, my name is Steve and I lead the team at King's Church in Birmingham and also along with my wife Julia, Ben and Emily from Nottingham lead Grace Connection, our family of churches and it's so good to be able to meet together online uh, through the, you know, being able to do a video. Uh, though at the same time it's kind of sad that I can't be with you in person, uh, it would be so nice to, to be there and I heard one person describe it um, you know, kind of more traditional conservative churches, I guess, doctrinally like ours, can never again say to, to the proponents of online church that we don't need you. But equally, those people that have been doing online church for a while now can never convince us that it's the same as meeting in person, that we thank God for the, the privilege of being able to do this, but also uh, mourn and long and, and wait for the day when we'll be able to be together again. Um, so I'm really glad to be here with you through video, um, but wish I could be with you in person. As I've been preparing um, for this, uh, I kind of have a slightly different message to the one I was perhaps expecting to do. I thought I might do something um, around the opportunities we have online and going deeper with God personally. Um, but actually, I felt God bring me back to the basics, uh, the basics of the gospel. And um, one of the, if you like, keys of the kingdom, one of the ways that we access God that I think we so often overlook and we so often miss, which is repentance. And you might think that's a very unusual topic to kind of go for when you have a chance to, to speak to uh, the three churches all together. But I, I honestly believe it's, it's so overlooked and yet it's so crucial if we want to get hold of God for ourselves if we want to grow in, in knowing his presence and being sensitive to him. I, I, I truly believe that repentance is one of the keys to us getting it. And yet, if I think about my own life, I know it's an area I'm constantly having to cultivate and get a passion for or a vision for. Um, and that's what I want to speak to us about this morning. Um, so I'm going to read from the book of Nehemiah. Uh, the words should come up, but if you have a, a, a Bible. Um, I'm going to read from Nehemiah chapter 1 and verse 1. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Chislev in the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there is in, in the province who have survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O oh Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. And the chapter goes on where Nehemiah repents and brings the sins before God and, and gets, I guess, gets hold of a passion for God, gets a vision, a renewed vision for the city of Jerusalem. And I think it's an amazing passage because you see the heart of God being developed in this man, Nehemiah. 
There's he, here's a report of Jerusalem struggling, the people are shamed, the walls are down. He, he gets on his knees and he prays and he fasts and he mourns and he, he kind of cultivates, God gives him a vision for what could be. And some of the commentators put it like this. They say the walls don't start getting built when Nehemiah makes the 500 mile journey in some week's time. The walls start getting built right here, right now, as his heart breaks for the city of God. One of my own prayers um, for what God might do in me over the kind of coronavirus period is that God break my heart for your church, break my heart for your city, break my heart for your walls, that I would have the same kind of reaction that Nehemiah has, because truth be told, that's not always my first response to just fall on my knees and to weep and to mourn and to pray. But I want the kind of sensitivity to God and to his, his desires that Nehemiah has. And I believe, and kind of well, the reason I stopped at verse six is that the, the, the way we enter that, the way we begin to get hold of that is through repentance. And as I mentioned at the beginning, you might think that is a, a strange topic. Perhaps it's not something that you think about very often. But repentance is absolutely crucial. It is so, it's such a common uh, command uh, and something that we're supposed to get hold of as believers, if we want to know, even again, basic things like the forgiveness of our sins, if we want to know the peace of God, if we want to be attuned to the voice of God, if we want to know him daily active in our lives, we need to know how to cultivate a lifestyle of repentance. It was the first command, actually, that Jesus gave in Mark's gospel, uh, in Mark chapter 1. We're told that Jesus says the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, which is to turn away from your old life, your old sins and believe the gospel. Repent and believe the gospel. When Jesus taught the disciples how to pray, um, he, he taught them to pray, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. That repentance, forgiveness, confession, if I can bracket that all as one, is absolutely essential, basic, if you like, to entering the gift of God, the gospel of God, the presence of God. And uh, if I take just one more example, take Martin Luther, the great reformer, when he took his 95 kind of theses and nailed them to the door of the Wittenberg Cathedral, the very first uh, thesis that he wrote says, Our Lord and Master Jesus Christ has willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance, a lifestyle of repentance, a daily habit. Um, why? It's because that's how we receive the forgiveness of our sins. That's how we know the presence of God. That's how we meet with him. And I just want to ask you as we begin, you know, what's your lifestyle like? Is repentance something that you do on a daily basis? Is it something on a weekly, monthly basis? It's something that's so crucial and yet I think so easily missed. It's something that we really just don't pay that much attention to. It's something that we kind of read so regularly if we're reading our Bibles, but just let it pass us by. And I want to give this morning just two main reasons why I think we miss it. And I want to land kind of on the cross, um, which is always the answer. Well, I think we're going to see the wisdom of God. We're going to see why doing this is going to be so helpful for us. And especially as we are living in days of isolation, where I'm imagining all of us are longing for more of God's presence, are wanting to hear his voice more and more. If we can get hold of this, if we can get hold of repentance, I truly believe we can get hold of God, just like Nehemiah. So the kind of the first reason that like, we might miss it um, is 
we, we often think that the problem is out there. The people who need to repent are out there. And uh, the reason I chose the story of Nehemiah to look at is I think it would have been so easy for Nehemiah to, to miss the opportunity that he had. It would have been so easy for him to blame everybody else rather than to start confessing his own sin. It would have been so easy, for example, for him to say, God, I am frustrated with Ezra, you know, that man of God who led the last party of exiles back to Jerusalem. Why, you know, God, why couldn't he lead the people? Or to say, I'm frustrated with the people themselves. I've heard reports of their intermarrying. They've lost sight of what they're supposed to be doing. Oh, God, won't you come break in on them or on the Samaritans who are coming, causing mischief and havoc. And there was dissension and jealousy. And you can imagine how Nehemiah's response would be to think the problem is all out there. And actually, it's incredibly humbling to think that actually he was the one who fell on his knees and prayed and fasted and repented and confessed the sins not only of himself, but of his father, of his father's household. And I, when I look at my own heart, when I look around, I I think we, we miss an opportunity to learn how to repent in our day too. It's so tempting to think that the people who need to repent are out there, not me. To think, you know, if, if anyone should be repenting in these days, maybe it's the government. You know, they, they, they haven't handled the response very well. And I'm not making a political statement. I always want to be neutral, um, you know, especially doing something like this. I'm just saying what, what are the things that come out of our hearts is, you know, who needs to repent? Well, the government, the way they've handled that. Or we look out and see people stockpiling or, you know, all the people sunbathing in the parks or doing all these different things. Oh, that God, you know, got breaking over there. Or even as Christians, I think the temptation sometimes is to think, God, I don't know why the coronavirus is happening. I don't know what's going on. But God, will you use it to bring the world to repentance? You know, will you use it, you know, come against the idols of consumerism and materialism and all those different things. God, you know, if you're going to use it for good, you know, will you do that? God, bring repentance out in the world. And I'm not saying those things are bad things or bad thoughts. I'm just saying it's so tempting as our first impulse to think, not not, am I going to repent, but is everybody else going to repent? There's a story in Luke chapter 13 where Jesus is talking with the crowds and a couple of things that have happened uh, in their world, their culture. They've heard a report that Pilate has um, had some Galilean men killed and their blood has been mingled with the sacrifices. It's kind of a bleak reference. We're not quite sure what it's all about. But the, the word on the street is those Galileans must have been extraordinary sinners for that to have happened. And then, um, and I love the detail of this, he's Luke the historian has uh, obviously been getting some eyewitness or some reports of what's been going on. He says, when the tower in Siloam fell, it fell and killed 18 men. And again, the people were discussing, you know, what, what might that mean? And saying, again, they must have been really extraordinary sinners for that to have happened to them. And Jesus kind of rebukes the crowd and says, no, you've missed the point entirely. While the the crowds are thinking, you know, it's those dead people who should have repented. Jesus says, no, you have to hear about this news. You have to hear these stories and think, unless I repent, I will likewise perish. He says it twice in about five verses in Luke 13. You're going to have have a look. You kind of miss it sometimes when you're just reading through Luke's gospel. It's it's a little interesting story that the crowds think it's the dead people who should have repented. And Jesus says, no, it's the living who need to hear 
and repent. It's so easy to think it's those people who need to do something, not me. The problem is out there, not in my heart. And as I've been reading Nehemiah and seeing the sensitivity he has to God, seeing how he gets hold of God for himself, seeing how as he repents, it's, it's like a gateway for him to get hold of God's presence, for him to get a vision for what God wants to do. I think I don't want to miss out on that. And I'm trying to train myself to pray, God, help, help, help me deal with my sin. Help me deal with my life. Help me deal with my attitudes and my actions rather than just waiting for you to deal with everybody else. I think it's a challenge to think about, are we cultivating a lifestyle of repentance? Are we those that are coming to find God for ourselves? And then the second reason I think repentance is really difficult is saying sorry is quite a a tough thing to do or as Elton John would tell us sorry seems to be the hardest word I don't know if you've ever had an argument with somebody um, it can be really difficult to say sorry Um, if I use my own marriage as a little bit of an illustration it's a dangerous thing to do Um, you know I'm always I'm the one who's the worst at saying sorry I find it's, it's, it's tough it's a hard thing to do uh, to, to admit you were wrong. And especially if you're trying to say sorry, it's hard to do it without kind of suggesting, but you also said some, some things uh, that maybe you shouldn't, or the way you behaved perhaps wasn't as ideal as it might have been. Actually, just to say sorry is really hard. And I think the reason it's hard is because we have to admit that we've done things wrong. We have to say things like, I... I I was, my tone was totally inappropriate. You know, the way I said that was so unthinking. We have to admit, I, I've made a mistake. I'm wrong. I failed. I didn't do that right. And that is incredibly vulnerable. It's a, it's a hard thing to say sorry. It's a hard thing to repent, to say, God, I, I am wrong. I'm a sinner. I've messed this up. But the problem is, and you find it in a, in a relationship, if you don't learn how to repent, if you don't learn how to say sorry, your heart begins to grow hard because you end up justifying yourself, self-justifying. You know, you make up reasons and excuses. You want to kind of excuse your behaviour. Say, you know, I just I had a really bad day, and that's the reason I did that. Oh, you know, if you understood what was going on, if you if you knew the the, the pressures and the strains I was under, and, and we justify our behaviour, we never actually learn how to say sorry. And sometimes, if you're having an argument with someone and you don't see them again, you kind of just move past it. But if you're in a relationship where you're going to see that person regularly, I don't know if you've noticed this, but often if you don't deal with it, it comes out. And sometimes you can be doing something quite innocuous, like putting plates away. And I should maybe say at this point, this is no longer my personal testimony. I'm just using this as an example uh, for you. But, you know, you're putting some plates in a cupboard or something and then your spouse or friend or whoever it absolutely blows up. And they're like, you put them in the wrong place. You always put them in the wrong place. You're hopeless at everything. And you're like, whoa, like what, where has that come from? That's such an overreaction. And you unpick it a little bit and there's all these past grievances that you've never dealt with. Never learned how to say sorry, never forgiven, never been reconciled, never dealt with some of the pain. And, and, and those things have become a massive barrier in your relationship. It's exactly the same with God. If we never repent, if we don't have a lifestyle of repentance, if all these things are going on in our lives and we never deal with them, they can become like a barrier between us and God. That when we're saying, I want your presence, I want to hear you, actually all this different stuff is going in the way. 
And as I say, because repentance is hard, we can think, oh, I'm not sure I want to do it. And we can almost turn our backs on God. Though we want him on the one hand, we also don't really want to repent on the other. And I am constantly amazed at the goodness of God, because I know this is true for me, that there's times when I don't repent or I forget or I don't take it as seriously as I should, that God never, ever, ever gives up on me. Never gives up on me. He'll never give up on you. He doesn't sit in heaven with his arms crossed saying, you know, I've been very clear in my word that you're supposed to repent and I'm kind of waiting and he's perfect and sinless and holy. So he's not the one who's going to be saying sorry to me. I'm the one who has to go to say sorry to him. And I'm so glad that God isn't aloof. He's not standoffish. He actually, his mercy and his goodness pursue me all the days of my life, even when my back is turned. As Paul says in Romans, it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. God wants us to know him. He wants us to repent, to turn and to confess, not to put us down, not to condemn us. That's what the enemy tries to do. No, God wants us to repent so that we can know him. He wants to draw us in. He wants to, he wants to speak with his people. He wants to be present with us. And we are the ones who turn and walk away. I'm so amazed by Nehemiah's response. He doesn't try and put it out there and blame everyone else. He doesn't minimise what's going on. He falls on his knees. He repents, even when it would have been so easy for him to blame everybody else. And he gets a vision for what God is doing and what God wants to do with Jerusalem. And I think I want that. In these days, I'm struggling at home and I want the presence of God and I don't want God to feel far away. I want to learn how to repent. I want to learn how to say sorry for my sins, to confess what's been going on, that I might get God for myself. Don't you want that too? Don't you want to know God more? Don't you want to hear his voice? Don't you want to have a kind of sensitivity like Nehemiah has? I actually, sometimes I have to start repenting that I'm not very good at repenting. Saying, God, I need mercy, I need grace, I need you. And I think one of the things that really helps us to do that is to look at the fact, this is one of those obvious points, that verse 5 in Nehemiah 1 comes before verse 6. Nehemiah reminds himself of the love of God. It says, I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him, and keep his commandments and then let your ear be attentive and he goes on to pray but he first reminds himself he roots himself he centers himself in the love of God that if you want to learn how to repent you want to know the safety place to be able to do it you have to be convinced of God's love which brings me to the kind of the, my final point that why why should we pursue this why should we learn how to repent is because we will see Jesus afresh. We will understand why the cross is such amazing good news. And I do believe we'll get God for ourselves. You see, the, the, you know, the first reason we, we don't repent is we think, oh, the problem's out there, not in here. Well, the cross speaks into that so clearly to tell us, no, the problem is not out there, the problem is in here. The fact that Jesus had to die to, to die a criminal's death for you and for me, to, to win us back, shows us that our, our sin was a massive problem. We were alienated from God. We needed rescuing. Jesus says, no, the problem's not out there. It's in here. He had to come to die. It's deeply humbling. It should make us fall on our knees. It should make us surrender. So we need to know this is the gospel. You need to understand there's some bad news if you want to receive the good news. I was a sinner. I needed rescuing. 
But if that's the first problem, the second problem is, you know, but saying so is hard and repenting is difficult. Why is the cross the answer to that? It's because Jesus loved us when we were still his enemies. When we were still far off from him, he came, he pursued us. He came to die on a cross to win us back. It gives us such safety that when I come to repent, when I come to God to say, actually, I'm wrong and I've failed and I've messed up and I'm weak and I'm struggling and I'm hurting. I know God will never cast me out. He'll never turn his face away. He'll never give up on me. He says, I forgive you. I love you. I want to come right into your life because he's been pursuing me all along. The cross speaks to our insecurities. It speaks to our weakness. It speaks to those moments where we think, I'm not sure I'm ready to do this and says, I love you. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. It's his way of drawing us into deeper fellowship with him. I say repentance is one of the keys to getting God. It's something we so often overlook. It's something we so easily forget. Yet if we can cultivate it as a daily kind of practice, I think we'll get God. And Nehemiah learns it for himself. And by chapter 9, he's able to lead the whole people by the time he's gone back to Jerusalem in a time of corporate confession and repentance. And as a people, they, they have the law read to them by Ezra. And they confess their sins. They repent. It's like, God, we've not kept your law. They say, God, we've not kept your Passovers. We've not kept your holy days. And they have a time of confession and repentance. And Nehemiah prays this amazing prayer, the great history of the faithfulness of God, how he led them out of exile, but the people were stiff-necked. And I don't have time to get into it, but read Nehemiah and those amazing prayer, just this great scope of the salvation that God's bringing. And then as they, they start with repentance and confession and they have a great celebration, that's where repentance leads. You, you want the joy of the Lord in your life, you start by repenting. It's kind of back to front, it's paradoxical, but it's true. If you say, oh God, I'm not good enough, I'm not there, he'll forgive you, he'll come close, he'll bring you joy. And so as Nehemiah gets hold of it, he's then able to lead everybody else into it. We, we, don't we want to be people who can get hold of it for ourselves? So God, I want you. I want to learn this. And then also I want to lead my household, my friends, my family into this too. I've been reading, just as I finish, about two elderly ladies in the Hebrides who met together to pray. And they began to pray for the holiness of God to grow in their lives. They began to repent of their sins. They began to fall on their knees to pray and to fast and to seek God and revival broke out on that island and in some of the surrounding islands into Scotland and thousands encountered God and got saved. And, uh, and it's been reading up about different revivals. One of the great revivalists of the 19th century, Charles Finney, his definition of revival is revival is a renewed conviction of sin and repentance followed by an intense desire to live in obedience to God it is giving up one's will to God in deep humility. And then if I can just give one more example of, of people who experienced revival, the Welsh revival at the beginning of the last century, J. Lee Grady writes, It was marked by two profound characteristics. First, waves of conviction drew people to repentance. Often sinners wandered into the meetings and immediately knelt at the altars. Second, Christians felt an urgency to share Christ with everyone around them because of the reality of hell and God's judgment. 
They seemed almost possessed by the love of God for the unconverted. You think that's just a big scale way of saying these were different people who got hold of the reality that I need to repent of my sins. I need to confess that God is judged, that he is in charge. Uh, is, is the coronavirus going to lead to revival? I don't know. I don't know. I kind of I hope it might. I hope it may even if it's a step in the right direction. But almost regardless, I say, God, I don't want to miss out on what you want to do. I don't want to wait for you to bring revival over there or in someone else's life or, or some other city. I want I want you to do it here in me. I, I want, as it were, revival to come to my own heart. I want your desires in me. I want a sensitivity to your presence like Nehemiah had. I want to get hold of this. I want to start right here that I would repent of my sin that I would be someone who says, God, don't let me you know, fall into consumerism and individualism and all those other things. God, let me be a patient person, someone who's quick to forgive and loves you with all his heart. God, I need you and I want you. And, and then break out. One of my prayers for the, the team that are looking to go to Newcastle to plant a church is that, you know, as they're grappling with, I imagine, a lot of uncertainty and God, what is going on and, and where are you, that... God would use what is happening to make what they do even better. That God will be preparing hearts, that God will be preparing them, that the River Church will be blessed, even though they might not feel like it right now. That my prayer for King's Church Birmingham with all that's going on is, God, don't let us miss what you're doing. Let us get hold of your heart. Let us learn how to repent. Let us learn how to pray. Let us learn how to get hold of you. Let us learn a new sensitivity that when we are out of lockdown and we are able to come back, actually we're not the same. We're people who've learned to go deep. People who've learned to get hold of God. And the same for Nottingham and Manchester. They think, God, don't let us lose out by all that's happening now. No, 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 God, we want to go deeper with you. We want to get a hold of you. We want to learn how to receive. We want to use this key to access your kingdom in a new way. Heavenly Father, I pray, lead us into repentance. Help us to confess our sins. Help us to know that you are so safe, that you are so good, that you are so committed to your people, that the best thing for us to do is to lay our weakness and our mess before you, knowing that you forgive us, knowing you have made a way, knowing that the cross is the answer. I pray help us to think the problem is not out there, but is in here. Help us to come and cultivate a fresh life in you, a fresh joy in you, fresh goodness of you, and to know the peace that comes when we understand our sins are forgiven, that Jesus is the Saviour. He has made a way. Jesus, we love you and we want more of you in our lives. Thank you that you're so good. Amen.